0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us on the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Wish we had some good news for you, but it's all bad martinis today. In fact, one of them's so bad it's taking up two martinis. And if you've been paying attention to the news at all over the last few days, I think you probably know which one it is. Yeah, it's the collapse of uh, Silicon Valley Bank. SVB, as it's uh, commonly known in parlance now, the second largest bank collapse in the United States, worst one since 2008. And it's not the only one lately. There's another one in New York. There's a couple of crypto-related banks that also went south, I think, for completely different reasons. But uh, Jim, SVB is the big one. It's one of the biggest uh, venture capital uh, supporting banks out there. And so you had a lot of folks out there in the innovation industry, tech industry, uh, really sweating bullets. Uh, In fact, they probably still are. Uh, The government is acting, which we'll get to in our second bad martini. But first, got to set the stage here. This is certainly not my area of expertise. Banking, other members of my family understand it much better than I do. But in terms of how this uh, darling bank of all the up-and-comers quickly headed south to the point where Uh, folks wanted uh, to withdraw about $42 billion on Friday, which led to the bank being in peril. How'd we get
1: here? Sure. Well, again, anytime you see me writing an explainer type morning jolt uh, edition, it's generally a sign I needed the topic explained to me. And if I'm really good at explaining this to laymen, it's because I'm a layman and I need these things explained (laughs) to me in as simple terms as possible. Okay. So, Silicon Valley Bank had been around for a long while, but in the last couple of years, it had this giant influx of cash from its uh, customers. Now, some of this, you could argue, is a reflection of the money that's being tossed around under the last few years, uh, post-pandemic, all those checks being sent out and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they had a whole bunch of money, and Silicon Valley Bank did what would normally be a very safe course of, of, uh, of action. When you put give your money to the bank, it doesn't just sit there, like in Scrooge McDuck's you know money bin or something like that. The bank does things with it. It can go out and give people loans and have people pay back those loans with interest in order to make money. Or it can invest it in, if it's an investment bank, it can invest in all kinds of stuff. One of the things it can do is it can invest it in government bonds. Government bonds are not particularly high rate of return but they're considered exceptionally safe. But oftentimes that rate of return will be two, three, four, five, maybe 6%. It's not a lot, but the good news is you almost certainly know you're going to get more money if I think they pay out the dividends quarterly. And it's like, it's considered exceptionally safe. Under one set of circumstances, it's not considered safe. That set of circumstances is when inflation is very high. If you're getting that two, three, four, that low rate of return and inflation itself is getting very high, what you're getting out of that is less and less. And oh, by the way, if you decide to sell that government bond back early, you end up taking a financial penalty. So you can actually lose money on that deal if you decide to you know, abort and bail out quickly because you really need to get, turn it into cash quickly. Well- as you probably noticed, listeners, inflation has been really bad for the last two years. And all of a sudden, you know, when you've got this low rate of return on your government bonds and a high rate of inflation, all of a sudden conceivably you could even be losing money or at minimum, you're not making any money on this stuff. Somebody looked at Silicon Valley Bank and said, huh, that's a bad spot for them to be in. They're really in rough shape. And this is probably going to, uh, Moody's have basically said, we're probably going to have to downgrade their their rating there. Well, when you know, this freaked out uh Silicon Valley Bank, like, well, we got to get some money, so we'd better sell some of these, you know, bonds that we have. We'll sell them at a loss, but we need to have it to have cash. Well, this gets out into a newsletter out in Silicon Valley. And as you mentioned, this is the bank for Silicon Valley. Um they brag that they were quote Banking services to nearly half of all venture backed technology and life science companies in the United States. The bank to more than 2,500 venture capital firms, including Lightspeed, Bain Capital, remember from the uh, the Romney days, Insight Partners, et cetera. Silicon Valley tech executives had their bank accounts there. Uh, they were a big sponsor of all the tech conferences, parties, dinners, all that kind of stuff. So, this again lives up to its name. This is the Silicon Valley Bank. Well, word gets out that, hey, these guys are having a cash crunch, and it basically creates a run on the banks. People have seen uh, it's a wonderful life. Everybody wants to take their money out all at the same time. The bank doesn't have enough cash on hand because all of their money is off in these government bonds and stuff. And as you mentioned, on Friday, it was not just a little bit. It was billions upon billions of dollars all trying to take the money at the same time. $42 billion. They said, they can, we can't actually cover all this. And that's when the, the, basically the state has to come in and take them over. Now you probably, if you're old, if you're as old as I am, you probably remember hearing bank commercials saying at the end, "Member FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation." This has been around since 1933, and the idea is, if you have your money in the bank, and some the bank managers are idiots and they run it into the ground, you won't be in trouble. When I was growing up, it was $100,000. It's now up to $250,000. Now, if you've got more than $250,000, gov- the FDIC is not covering that, or at least traditionally, it's like, nope, nope, sorry, you're on your own. You, you know, it was your, that's your mistake for putting too much money into one account in one bank. Oh, by the way, if you have a savings account and a checking account, FDIC counts them as separately. So theoretically, you can keep up to a half million dollars in the bank and not have to worry about the bank going belly up and you losing your money. Unfortunately, a lot of these businesses that we listed were having, you know, millions upon millions of dollars in in their accounts. Uh, apparently it's something in the neighborhood of like 93% of the money in Silicon Valley Bank was above that $250,000 threshold. So when the FDIC says, don't worry, you're protected up to 250 k that doesn't do any good for any of these businesses. So all of a sudden, all these businesses are like, oh my God, we're not going to be able to make payroll next month. All of our money is in this bank. What are we going to do? Thus, the government steps in, and maybe this is a good foreshadowing of this, but the, basic, the gist is that Silicon Valley Bank, thinking they were doing something that was very safe, ended up doing something that was very risky because they ignored the fact that inflation was very high and the rate of return on these government bonds was very... And basically, they just didn't diversify enough. They didn't have what you call hedges, where you kind of bet against the scenario you expect. So in case what you're expecting doesn't come to pass, you do okay. You, you even out your losses because you basically placed uh, another investment expecting the market to go in another way. They, you know, this is extremely fair questions about the management of this bank, whether they ignored warning signs, whether they realized how much of a risk they were running. But now they've gone belly up. Now, the other two worth noting is that the uh, intervention announced last night, which we'll talk a bit more in our second Martini, they also said they're doing it for a New York bank called Signature Bank, uh, which is a very big cryptocurrency bank. And they also did this for the other things that this comes up last week after a San Diego bank, Silvergate Bank, uh, the other really big bank for cryptocurrency. Didn't collapse, but announced that it is winding down its operations and liquidating its holdings. Basically, if you have your accountant there, they're going to give you your money back. And that's the end. We're, we're, we're shutting down. Silvergate had $11 billion in assets. Signature is much bigger, which, by the way, had one of their biggest customers was FTX, has $114 billion in assets. So we're talking about you know now three banks that you know have either shut down or two of them required a rescue from the government. And there's a lot of nervousness about the banking sector wondering how many other regional banks are in this situation in which they've uh, put all of their eggs into one basket and how promptly dropped that basket. One of the things we were going to talk about today until we made this a two-part martini was Biden's budget
0: blueprint for $6.8 trillion. You mentioned how inflation uh, was a factor in the, the bonds not turning out the way that SVB uh, wanted them to. Well, wanting to spend $6.8 trillion is not going to help uh, anyone when it comes to inflation. But here's something that's also good, and that is 4Patriots. You can head over to 4Patriots.com slash martini to see all their great deals, including getting a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, plus you'll get free shipping on orders over $97. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X now has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run your big appliances when your power goes out. Your fridge, your freezer, medical devices, and a lot more. Comes with 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Also, fantastic deals still available on their website in other areas, including the Solar Go Fridge, the Sauna Wrap Therapeutic Blanket, and the Vital Swing Therapeutic Wellness Machine. Visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. All right, Jim. On to part two of this uh, bad martini. Uh, we were wondering what was going to happen yesterday. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, got sent out among others to the Sunday morning shows, and she says, "No, no, no. There's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be a bailout. It's not going to look like the 2008 financial crisis." But she was giving signs that depositors would be safe. So we we're talking about the FDIC and the $250,000 guarantee, and a lot of these uh, depositors having a lot more than that in SVB. Well, she made it clear that the government was aiming to cover all of it, and now uh, that is the case. But it's not going to be with your tax dollars, so they say. Here's President Biden this morning. All customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want mean, to rest assured, they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business no losses will be and i'm this is an important point no losses will be borne by the taxpayers let me repeat that no losses will be borne by the taxpayers instead the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund so jim as uh he mentioned and as you mentioned in the morning jolt today this is uh, coming from something called the deposit insurance fund of the fdic but to say that taxpayers
1: couldn't possibly be on the hook here is, uh, well, let's just say misleading. Yeah. I mean, the first part is that the deposit insurance fund indisputably is uh, backed up by the U.S. government. Like if ever runs out of money, the U.S. government will put in more. So whether you like it or not, that is that, you know, there is a U.S. government tie. Uh, There's an MIT economist who told the Washington Post this morning, it is disingenuous to say that the deposit insurance fund is not ultimately backed by the U.S. taxpayer. I think a good way of characterizing is that, no, as a taxpayer, you will not be paying to um, make these customers of these banks whole. As a bank customer, you will be paying to make these other bank customers whole. The Deposit Insurance Fund uh, gets its money from two sources. One is the assessments or kind of like an insurance premium on all the FDIC ins- insured institutions. All those banks, you see the commercial saying member FDIC. Well, they end up paying a fee to be a part of the members, like a, a, an insurance premium. Well, they also have interest earned on funds invested in US government obligations. That's kind of a less less of a factor here. I ran through the numbers. Not every asset of these banks has to be backed up, but we know it's a lot. Silicon Valley Bank said it had 212 billion in assets at the end of the year. We talked about Signature in the last Martini. Signature had 114 billion in assets. Now, we don't know again, we don't know the exact amount that's going to have to be paid out to all of these people who are over that $250,000 threshold. But it's going to be a lot. It's going to be tens of billions, maybe even in the hundreds of billions of range. The deposit insurance fund balance had $128 billion in December 31st of, at the end of the year. Now they're saying they're not going to; they won't require all 128 billion. They know more about this than I do. I'll assume that that's correct. But it's going to take a lot. That 128 billion is going to get a lot lower really fast. And when you eat up the deposit insurance fund, you have to build it back up again. Well, how how is the FDIC going to build that back up again? Well, they're going to have to raise more money from the banks that are paying these insurance premiums. So the banks are going to have to pay more. What happens when your bank has to pay more? They figure out ways to take more money from you, the banking customer. I don't know how they're going to do it. You know, it might be their usual maintenance and service fees, might be their overdraft fees, ATM fees. Uh, If your bank has a minimum fund and you go below it and they can charge you a fee on that, your bank is going to start charging you more in fees because they have to cover more payments to the FDIC because the FDIC has to pay more to make up for the gap that is in the deposit insurance fund. That's how this is. So if you want to say it's not taxpayers on the hook, okay, technically, yeah. I mean, it is effectively US taxpayer backed and we are the, you know, if they ever hit zero, the US treasury has to start putting money into that. But the other big part is that You as a bank customer, and almost everybody is a bank customer or almost every, you know, gainfully employed adult has a bank account, right? So your bank is going to start charging you more. What's more is that this is, I think it still qualifies as a bailout because this is a case of very concentrated benefits. Yes, the Silicon Valley bank executives are making every bit as much as you figure they would. Oh, by the way, the CEO sold a whole bunch of stock right before things went south. That certainly emits a, uh, a bad odor. But what's more is that they've gotten the very big benefits from running the bank the way they had. They're going to lose their job. Silicon Valley Bank is going to shut down, but they've got their fortunes. They're doing fine. You know, they, you know they'll never be able to run a bank again. Oh well, you know they're, they're going to have to you know take their millions and, and you know dab their tears with their giant piles of money. Meanwhile, everybody else is paying in to make sure that these their, their depositors are are kept whole. Um, the benefits are concentrated amongst a few. the risk is concentrated amongst the general public. That is a bailout, right? Oh, by the way, because the other thing is that we said, you know, we had this $250,000 threshold. If you had money in the bank above $250,000, which for most of us is a, you know, far away dream at best, you know, um, you, you should have known the risks. It says it right there in the banking materials. You should have known that, you know, if you're keeping millions and millions in your bank account, that only that first two hundred fifty thousand was being protected by the FDIC. Your job was to go. Your your role was to say, if you're really worried about that, go put two hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars in another bank in another account, or at minimum, start splitting up checking accounts and and savings accounts. Uh, this is another demonstration of moral hazard. This is a uh, this is another case of saying you know well basically we're going to make sure everybody steps in to pay for it. Oh well, by the way, we think these are the only two banks that are in this circumstance, but we can't be hundred percent certain. And if Silicon Valley bank, yeah, again, if they're unique in the degree to which they're tied into the uh, Silicon Valley industries and the tech crowd and all that kind of stuff. But and the other two banks we saw get in trouble were heavily involved in crypto. Maybe it's just these handful of banks, but everybody's kind of nervous about that. Everybody's not 100% certain. How many other banks put a lot of money into bonds and then found themselves in really rough shape because inflation was very high and the return on the investment in those bank those bonds was so low? we probably haven't heard the last word on this greg and this is you know a very shaky economic uh, challenge that has come along very very quickly probably not what the president wanted to hear but then again probably it's not what anybody in america wants to hear either so the big takeaway
0: here jim is that if you're a taxpayer you're totally going to be fine probably yeah but if you're a taxpayer do, yeah. sorry if you're a taxpayer with a bank account well Then your fees are going to probably go up quite a bit here because of what happened at somebody else's bank. As long as you never use a bank, you'll be fine, America. Jim, real quick exit on this. We've obviously spent a lot of time on it today. What do you make of a lot of folks on the right saying the only reason the feds are getting this excited about SVB is because a lot of these venture capitalists are their ideological soulmates doing a lot of stuff on on, on climate change and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you saw some of the tweets over
1: the weekend. we like, the fate of the planet is at stake if we don't make these people whole. Yeah, no, it, there was some really shameless uh, venture capitalist folks who were saying the government has to step in and guarantee our my full deposit, you know. Um, I, I saw both that uh, and I de- if the major bank of the oil industry was in a similar mess, I don't think you'd see the Biden administration rallying to save them in the same way. Uh, I also think I've, I've saw people making the comments that the bank had, you know, was this is a very touchy feely diversity, equity, inclusion left of center bank and the idea that uh, they were too focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion and topics like that and not focused enough on their financial matters. I don't know if that's the case. It probably didn't help any. Um, But in the end, what they did was they put too many eggs in one basket. And when that went badly for them, they did not have enough eggs, so to speak, in other baskets to salvage themselves. And you can attribute that to ideology. You can attribute that to old-fashioned naivete, foolishness, arrogance. Oh, there's no way this, this bet will go wrong for us. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if ideology was a factor, but I don't think that's like necessarily, you know, exhibit A of what went wrong at Silicon Valley Bank.
0: Perhaps to paraphrase things, if the facts don't care about your feelings, the financial markets don't <laughs> probably care that much either. Yeah, right? Banks
1: don't care about your feelings either. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered JumboCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. Let's
0: go to our final bad martini now, Jim. And uh, this also broke on Friday. Man, it was, it was a weekend brewing of uh, bad martinis here. Uh, uh, three international bedfellows, You got to be a little bit leery when you see together, of course, and that's Iran, Saudi Arabia, and China. Yeah, Iran and Saudi Arabia, not good friends, in case you haven't been following that for the last several years. Uh, In fact, the Trump administration leveraged that quite well to build up ties with the Saudis and really use the Saudis, not really all that quietly behind the scenes. I think they gave their blessing to the Abraham Accords and smoother relations with Israel and all that sort of thing. The Saudis and Iranians also fighting that proxy war in Yemen. But all of a sudden on Friday, the Chinese show up and say, hey, We've brokered the restoration of diplomatic ties between Iran and Saudi Arabia. They're going to reopen their embassies. They're going to exchange their diplomats again. Things are going to be back to the way they were. This is going to be great. And all of a sudden, China's this major diplomatic player on the world stage in a way that they hadn't been before, although they've been very good at going to all different parts of the world and uh, making investments in places that these poorer countries can't possibly pay off and the Chinese control the ports or whatever else they've built in these places. Jim, others say this is Saudi recognition that Iran is very, very close to a nuke. And we've seen stories uh, showing that they could have enough enriched uranium for multiple weapons in a matter of days or even weeks. And so this is them trying to save their, save their hides and have the Chinese kind of play cop over the Iranians. So what do you make of this? I guess there's a common
1: theme to all martinis today, Greg, and it's hedging your bets. <laughs> uh, Saudi Arabia having had a you know longstanding alliance with the United States, wants to have a hedge its bets by rewarming up its relationship with Iran. And by the way, Greg, remember during the Iraq war and all of the attacks on U.S. soldiers from militias, including Sunni militias, and the claim that you know Iran was helping them. And all the experts who told us that Sunnis and Shias never worked together, they were like two, ends, two, uh, two of the same ends of a magnet. They absolutely repelled each other, could never work with each other. Well, here we've got one of the biggest Sunni states and one of the biggest Shia states reestablishing diplomatic relations. I really feel like that argument was invoked uh, in bad faith back then. Um, no, what we have here, look, from it's very odd that the fate of one columnist for the Washington Post ended up having this domino effect with enormous ramifications for U.S. foreign policy towards the Middle East. What the Saudis did to Khashoggi was absolutely abominable, and the U.S. had to react in some way. And I remember at the time proposing a a year in the timeout chair, so to speak, that we were going to uh, suspend a lot of our normal diplomatic relations. We had to send a signal, you went too far this time. We cannot, you know, avert our eyes from this. But that it was not something worth blowing up the entire U.S.-Saudi relationship over. They are the guardians of Mecca and Medina. They cooperate with us on counterterrorism issues. Obviously, there's the oil supply issue. There's a whole bunch of ways in which the U.S. and Saudi Arabia are intertangled, intertwined, and separating us is you know is not going to be easy. Biden gets out on the camp uh, out there on the campaign trail and just says, "Well, we're going to turn them into the pariahs that they are." Well, if they already are pariahs, you don't need to turn them into them. But just beyond that, it was because so many Democrats were a- outraged about Khashoggi. There was this mentality in Democratic circles, particularly during that presidential primary, that the U.S. had to instantly blow up its relationship with Saudi Arabia. That MBS was you know uh, a-, a demon. That he was the absolute villain, and there was no way we could work with this guy. Well, as once President Biden ended up on, uh, ended up in office, he figured out, oh, things are pretty complicated. Wait a second. Oh, we are really intertwined with them economically and in a whole bunch of other policy areas. And it's hard to do this. Well, the damage has been done. I think it's safe to say that, you know, Mohammed bin Salman certainly will not be warming up to the United States for the remainder. And then, of course, Biden had to go there and, of course, do the fist bump anyway. And he still didn't get any help on the oil issue from the Saudis. Um MBS is not going to feel warm and fuzzy towards the Biden presidency. I don't think he would feel terribly warm and fuzzy if, say, God forbid, Kamala Harris had to take over tomorrow. And maybe he's going to feel that way about all Democrats. Maybe he's going to feel that way about all Americans. Maybe Mohammed bin Salman is never going to look at the United States in a cooperative way again. This is one of the ramifications of that. We basically saw the formation of this anti-Iranian alliance with a whole bunch of strange bedfellows, most notably the Israelis and the Saudis, starting to act a little more cordial towards each other because of this shared threat of Iran. Saudi Arabia decides to flip sides and say, hey, we're going to try to, you know, stay on Iran's good side. This is a major setback for the United States and a direct consequence of Biden's statements, which again, I believe, started from an off-the-cuff comment in a democratic presidential debate.
0: No, that's certainly part of it. And, uh, you know, the Biden administration's desire to get back in Iran's good graces with the nuclear deal uh, proved that it was going in a very different direction than the Trump administration. The Abraham Accords, I think, are one of the most brilliant pieces of foreign policy that we've seen in a very long time. Uh, Everybody else wanted to start anything related to progress in the Middle East with the Palestinian question. Uh, Trump decided to go build other relations between Israel and other countries in the region, and and, uh, and Biden's just completely turning his back on that. Uh, The other issue that I think might bring this full circle, Jim, and this is perhaps a worst case scenario, but it's one worth keeping in mind. Uh, Right now, the U.S. dollar is kind of the global reserve currency, and a big part of that is due to the oil markets. Well, if China's in bed with two of the biggest oil producers in the world, will the U.S. dollar remain uh, in that spot, uh, or will Chinese currency or or something else uh, end up threatening us? So uh, not a lot of good news here.
1: And the fact that China is brokering this deal is another sign of, hey, we're China, we are the new world superpower, the United States is a declining power. We're the guy who can step into completely different parts of the world, and our diplomacy is the one that can make deals happen.
0: Yeah, they're really showing that they're not only a rival to us, but they certainly want to replace us in that role. Wow. I mean, I know Mondays are depressing in and of themselves, but uh, not a lot of good news here to talk about. Hopefully something better tomorrow, but uh, definitely some heavy stuff that needed to be addressed today. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Also, thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday and join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. multiple illegal migrants who are breaking US law. And I have the exclusive audio for all this and more subscribe to the Sarah Carter show on your favorite podcast app.